Good morning. It's good to see everybody here this morning. Uh, as Ryan said, I will be preaching. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Shane Hatfield. I'm the RUF campus minister. RUF is the campus ministry of the Presbyterian Church and of Grace Stillwater. Thankful to serve in that position. I'm thankful that Ryan would let me come and bring God's Word to you this morning. We have been in a sermon series going through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and particularly, we spent a lot of time focusing in on the Lord's Prayer. This morning, I thought, uh, since the RUF group went through James and we talked about prayer, I thought I would try to connect what we're learning in James to uh, the Lord's Prayer. thought I'd talk about praying a little bit, get a little specific here from James. Uh, so if you have your Bible, open it up to James chapter 5. We'll start with verse 13. We'll read 13 through 18. It's James 5, 13 through 18. Please stand for the reading of God's holy and inerrant Word. We stand because we believe God's Word is important and authoritative and we want to give it our full attention. This is God's Word. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. This ends the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. As Ryan said, uh, this week we went to Presbytery. Actually, let me pray before we start. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word, for your spirit. We pray right now that your spirit would speak to us through your word. We come to you in need of healing, in need of both physical healing and spiritual healing. We come to the true doctor, the true physician, to you. We pray in the name of Jesus that you would heal us. In Jesus' name, amen. As Ron said, we went to Presbytery this weekend. It was in Oklahoma City at City Pres. On Friday nights, we always have a worship service before we go into business. So uh, City Pres led worship, and in their worship service, they have a time where people come up and share. One of the, the, the person that shared this week, his name was Curtis. Curtis actually went to Grace Stillwater with me while we were in college. Many of you might know Curtis. Curtis shared about how the Lord had worked in his life to heal him of his cynicism. Curtis said when he was in college and he came to Grace, he realized that he was very cynical, that he kind of saw through things. After college, he went to a place called Labrie Fellowship, where Francis Schaeffer worked and established. And the people at Labrie helped him deal with his cynicism. He found that they were just as cynical as he was. But instead of just staying in their cynicism, they were bringing their cynicism to the Lord and letting the Lord heal them. So he experienced that. Then he came back to Oklahoma City in 2010, and he was looking for a place where he could be healed of his cynicism, where he would be with other cynical people that would pray with him and for him. So he said he was driving around Oklahoma City one day, and he drove past a large church that was vacant. And he said out of nowhere, he said this doesn't normally happen to him, but a prayer began to bubble up. And he began to pray that a church would inhabit that building that there would be a place 
where people like him could go and receive healing of their cynicism. Then his mind went to a pastor that he met in 2005 at a conference named Doug Servan. The guy was kind of crazy, but he thought, this guy seems like he'd be a good pastor. Then his mind went to another pastor named Bobby Griffith that uh, Jonathan Dorsett told him about, who was trained to be a church planner. And he began to pray for Bobby Griffith. This was in 2010. And then in 2012, Doug Servan and Bobby Griffith came together to plant a church in Oklahoma City and they actually began worshiping in the very building that Curtis had been praying for. Prayer worked in Curtis. And prayer worked in the world. Prayer moved him from his cynicism into a place of healing, and God actually used that prayer to change this world. Many of us today, I feel like, come to this passage and come to worship cynical, just like Curtis. And my prayer is that as we study this passage, that the Lord would heal us of our cynicism, and the Lord would convince us that prayer does actually work. And I pray that He would make us more prayerful in our lives. Now, I know that this text comes with a lot of baggage, comes with a lot of question marks. Uh, a lot of people have abused this passage and misused it to hurt people. I myself have been victim to that. And so, as we go through the passage, I want to try to offer some helpful correctives to where I think people have gone wrong in this teaching. I actually feel so passionate about it. I wrote an 80-page thesis on this passage. I cut that down into a 30-minute sermon. So don't worry, we won't be here all day. Okay? So, we're going to look at two things in this passage that, we think, that I think James teaches us. I think James teaches us that that prayer works powerfully. And I think he teaches us how prayer works powerfully. So that prayer works powerfully and how prayer works powerfully. So first, let's see that prayer works powerfully. If you look in the passage, James addresses four different situations in which he tells his people to pray. In verse 13, he says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. This suffering is a general suffering. Think of bad times. Think of hardships. Could be physical. Could be spiritual. Could be economic. Most likely, he was writing to Jews who were scattered in the diaspora and they were, forcing, they were facing persecution and suffering, all kinds of different hardships. He's saying that in those times, you need to pray. You need to ask that your Heavenly Father would be with you, strengthen you, comfort you, and allow you to persevere. Then he moves into a second situation. He says, Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Cheerful could be just happy times. When things are going well. When things are positive. Right? The word literally here could mean happiness or a time of great peace. And he's saying in those times, you should sing. Singing is another way of praying. As we looked at in the meditation, prayer, in some sense, is just conversation with God. So when we're singing, we're conversing to Him. We're responding to Him. Right? And it's important that we do that in cheerful times because those are the times when we become most proud. When things are going well, we forget about the Lord. We forget that He is the ultimate source of all good things. So James tells us to sing praise. Then thirdly, he moves into another situation. He, said, he tells us, he says, uh, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. He's saying, if you're sick. Now, the big question in this passage is this. Is James talking about spiritual sickness 
Is he talking about physical sickness? Or is he talking about some combination of the two? Okay? Uh, there's a very few scholars who think that he's talking about purely spiritual sickness only. There's a, a bigger portion of scholars that think it's some combination of both physical and spiritual. I would say the majority of scholars say that this is, he's probably in this context addressing physical suffering. Very acute physical illness. Um, I want to I get back to that in a little bit. I think what James is doing is in context addressing physical illness, but I think there are spiritual implications, and I think he applies this to our spiritual sickness as well. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But he's saying, if you're sick, if you're, if you're extremely sick, then call the elders of the church and have them come and pray for you. And then the fourth situation is this. In verse 16, he says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So he takes this sort of specific situation of sickness and the elders coming to pray, and then he applies it to the whole congregation. He doesn't say elders here, right? He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. So it's like he's looking at the, the whole congregation. He's saying, the elders can pray for the sick and receive healing. So you, pray for each other. Confess your sins to each other and receive healing. So four different situations in which James prescribes some type of prayer. And what I think he's doing is this. I think he's using the, the context of physical suffering and these situations to teach us something about the nature of prayer and how we can receive healing. And I think it applies to both physical healing and spiritual healing. I think uh, what he's saying is that prayer works. The reason why he's looking at the congregation, he's looking at all of their different situations, and he's saying pray in all these different situations because he firmly believes that prayer is powerful, that prayer actually works, that prayer actually does something. And we see that in verse 16 where he says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. It's got great power. It's powerful. It's like, it's like dynamite. It's got a chance to explode things and change things. It's like the engine of a car. It's got a chance to make things run. It's like a pill. It's got medicine for our souls. It's got medicine for our bodies. And it's powerful. It actually works when we take it. And I heard a great story about a pastor's wife that I think really illustrates this. This pastor's wife developed Crohn's disease. Crohn's disease is an autoimmune disease that affects your intestinal tract. It's extremely painful. And as she was suffering with Crohn's disease, she went to her husband, who was a pastor, and she was like, we need to pray. And he was like, okay, honey, yeah, we'll pray. And she was like, no, I have to pray. He was like, okay. And she said, you've got to think of it this way. She said, imagine that there's a pill. And if you take this pill before you go to sleep at night, then you won't die. Every night, if you take this pill, you are assured you'll wake up in the morning. But if you forget to take that pill, then you, then you won't live. Then you'll die. She said, I feel so bad that if I don't pray at night, I feel like I'm going to die. We have to pray. And so they began regularly praying with each other at night before they went to sleep. She knew something. She knew what James knows. She knew that prayer was powerful, both for her spiritual sickness 
and for her physical sickness. In both those times, she knew that if she didn't pray with her husband on a regular basis, that she was going to die. If she didn't tap into her Heavenly Father that loves her and moves and changes things by the Holy Spirit, then something inside of her was going to wither up and cease. Even as her body did. And so we come to this passage, and I think we both suffer from physical illness and from spiritual illness. It's no, you know, it's no mystery like people suffer. People are hurting. People get sick. Most of the people in my family have suffered from some type of chronic illness or chronic disease. I think it's the thing that the Lord is using in my family to move us towards Jesus. I myself have went through that. I'm going to share a little bit about that later. But many of you have probably suffered also from physical illness. You're struggling with, with a chronic disease, with a congenital defect. You're struggling with uh, migraines or backaches or pains. Just general things, uh, illnesses and sicknesses that make life difficult. That's a part of sin. That's a part of how God has broken the world. And in those times, James is saying that the Bible is teaching that we go to God in prayer and we ask Him to heal us. Francis Schaeffer says that the Bible promises substantial healing for the sick. Substantial healing. Now we look at the story of Lazarus and we go, Lazarus was resurrected, but Lazarus didn't live forever. Lazarus went on to die. But there is a sense in which Lazarus was healed. And so I think what James is saying is we can have substantial healing in this life for our physical illnesses. Now I'm going to go back and, and correct some, excuse, some errors here in just a second. Because um, I know that already brings up things. Why am I not healed? Why is my family not healed? Why is it not perfect? All those things. If you don't suffer from physical illnesses, then you probably suffer from spiritual illnesses and spiritual weakness. That's another thing we can all associate with. Right? We struggle with depression. We struggle with anxiety. We struggle with doubts. In those situations, prayer is the same medicine that we need. We need to bring those things to the Lord. We need to let Him heal us. Um, I had uh, Ryan read Psalm 32 as part of the assurance of pardon. Because I think it illustrates this principle that we feel this sense of spiritual, uh, spiritual weakness, spiritual sickness, and the cure for that is to pray to the Lord. What did David say? He said, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. And then I went and I confessed my sin and you forgave me. He was suffering from a spiritual sickness that was caused by him holding on to his sin. And he went to the Lord and he prayed for forgiveness and the Lord healed him as the Lord forgave him. I think this passage is hard for us. because I think a lot of us struggle with uh, cynicism. We prayed and prayed and prayed for spiritual healing or we prayed for conversions and those things haven't happened so we've given up. I think the Lord wants you to take that cynicism to Him and ask Him to heal you of it. I think a lot of us struggle with naturalism or deism. Basically what we think is that God has built this world like a clock. He put it in motion. He let it go and He doesn't touch it. And so we kind of go around all day not even thinking that He would even interact in the world. I think we need to bring that to the Lord and let Him heal us. I think a lot of us struggle with self-sufficiency. We pray. We're Christians. We're, we're trying to pray. That's on our spiritual checklist. We pray, but then when we go into the rest of the world, we just go on and we just think that everything is determined by our own power and our own control. And I think James wants us to bring that self-sufficiency to the Lord and receive healing and say, Lord, I know that I try to do everything in my own power, but I can't do it. 
And I want you to do it. And I want you to heal me of that. So in all those things, the Lord, uh, what James is telling us and what the Lord I think is telling us is that prayer is the powerful pill that we need to heal us both spiritually and physically. That if we can see prayer as the pill that we have to take every night, every day to survive, then God is going to use that to heal us in these different ways in our life. So he's teaching us that prayer works, that prayer works powerfully. And it, but he's not just teaching us that, he's teaching us how prayer works. Okay? So now we're going to go through and we're going to look at how prayer works and we're going to hopefully correct some of these mistaken ideas about this passage. All right? The first thing we see in this passage is this, that prayer works through faith. That prayer works through faith. And we see that in verse 15, where it's talking about the elders praying for the sick. And then in verse 15 it says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. All right. A lot of scholars debate what's going on with the anointing with oil here in this passage. Some think it's purely spiritual. Some think it's purely medicinal. Some think it's a combination of both. Okay. I think the oil is symbolic, right? It's symbolic of Jesus and his ministry and a healing power. But I also think it could be medicinal. We know that oils have medicinal values for some things in our life. And so I think it's important. It's important to keep that tension there uh, in the passage. But I think what all scholars agree on is it's not the oil that actually produces the healing. It's faith. It's the faith of the elders. It's the faith of these godly men going and praying for the sick. Why elders? I think elders for a couple reasons. One, elders are men, should be men full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Acts tells us that's why they chose the men in leadership for the early church. They are men of faith. They are men filled with the Holy Spirit. And so if faith is the conduit through which we're healed, then we need to have the most godly men filled with faith in the Holy Spirit praying for us. I also think the elders represent the church. They hold the keys of the kingdom. And so when we have the elders come and pray for somebody, it's not just that they and their power are praying for them. I think it's collectively the church of Christ is praying for this person to be healed. The main instrument is faith. It's a humble reliance. It's a humble trust on God. Now, let me do a little corrective here. What some people have taken this to mean is that you have to have the faith to be healed. That you as a sick person have to have some magical amount of faith. Otherwise, you're not going to be healed. And that is not what the passage is teaching. And I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. We're healed based on the object of our faith. not Not necessarily the quantity of our faith. The object of our faith. And I'm thinking back to a man who came to Jesus and asked that his child would be healed. And he came to Jesus and he said, if you'd be willing to heal, then heal my son and he'll be healed. And Jesus said, if? And the man said, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I believe, help my unbelief. And so in that one passage, we see a man who genuinely believed in Jesus. But he also had some unbelief in there. Now, if you had to have some magical amount of faith to receive the healing, then he wouldn't have got it. But his son was healed. I think that shows us that it's the object of our faith that produces healing and not the amount of our faith. If we're cynical, if we have unbelief like he does, we need to bring that to Jesus and we need to let him heal us. This passage also does not teach, another corrective, it does not teach that prayer, the prayer of faith overrides God's sovereignty. I think as us, as Reformed people, we're really worried about God's sovereignty. We really believe in God's sovereignty. 
I think what James does here is he presupposes God's sovereignty. He says that we need to pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, if you're praying in the name of the Lord Jesus, then you're assuming that He's the Lord. That He's sovereign. And so you're submitting to Him. You're bowing your knee to Him and His will for this healing. What about unanswered prayers? Uh, Tim Keller has a maximum. A maxim, not maximum. A maxim that I think is really helpful here. It says this, God will always give you either what you asked for or He will give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything that He knows. I'll say that again. God will either give you what you asked for or He will give you what you asked for sorry, or He will give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything that He knows. This is assuming God's sovereignty. And we're going to come to the Lord with our prayers, but they're going to be imperfect. And sometimes we're going to pray for things that God does wish to answer. And sometimes we're going to pray for things that are not in, that He does not wish to answer, that are not in His plan. And He's going to answer them the way that we would have prayed if we knew what He knows. He knows everything. He knows the plan. He knows the purpose. He knows where everything's going. And He wants us to trust Him with that. Just imagine if everybody in here had their prayers answered all the time. It would be chaos. Right? Isn't there a movie about a Jim Carrey movie like that? Bruce Almighty? Where he just grants everybody's prayers and everything goes haywire? He gives us what we, sh- what we would have asked for if we knew what He knows. Let me, let me share two stories real quick to sort of illustrate both sides of this teaching. All right? I had a friend a few years ago who had a daughter with hypotonia. That's low muscle tone. They found out when she was about two, she wasn't walking. You're supposed to walk at one. She was two, she still wasn't walking. So they enrolled her in physical therapy. Well then, uh, sometime after that, our church in Tulsa, we occasionally did healing services. And so we had a healing service. And he brought his daughter down and prayed that the, the elders of the church would pray that she would be healed. That was on a Sunday. The next day, they had their physical therapy appointment. His wife took the daughter. He went to work. When he was on his way to work, he got a phone call. And the physical therapist said, you're in trouble. And he said, why? And she said, because your daughter is walking. It's a miracle. They didn't tell the, they didn't tell the therapist about the service. They didn't tell about the prayer. None of that. She said, it's a miracle. She should not be walking. And she started walking this morning. And today, she, she's fairly healthy and she's very functional. God answered that prayer, the faith of the elders, for healing for that little girl. But it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes He gives us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that He knows. And that's what happened in my case. I was born with a congenital heart defect. Uh, it's been with me my entire life. And as I grew up, I hated it because it meant that I couldn't play football and I couldn't run long distances, and I got tired, and, and my loving father wouldn't let me do everything that I wanted to do because it would hurt me. Well, I hated it. So I always prayed that the Lord would heal me. When I got in college, I met a man who said, if you have faith to be healed, you will be healed. I was at a church service. I said, I want to be healed. I went down front. He said, if you believe Jesus will heal you, you'll be healed. I said, I believe. I want to be healed. He prayed for me. I turned around and walked out. For the next several weeks, I tried to believe as much as I could that Jesus was going to heal me. I tried not to doubt. When doubt would creep in, I would cast it out. Months later, I went back to the doctor. I still had the heart condition. I went for a run. I still stunk at running. (laughs) My heart still wasn't good. It wasn't healed. The Lord did not physically heal me. He didn't physically heal my heart. I kind of put it aside. I was bitter. I was angry. I was mad at the pastor. A few years later, 
I was reading Romans 5. And as I was reading Romans 5, I came to the part where Paul said, the Lord has poured His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And then it hit me. God had answered my prayers. He had healed my heart, not physically, but spiritually, by pouring His love into my heart by the Holy Spirit. When I was a kid, I literally had a hole in my heart that they repaired. When I became a Christian, God spiritually repaired that hole in my heart by pouring in His Holy Spirit. And that allows me to live today. That allows me to, to confess my sin. It allows me to trust Jesus. It allows healing to go on. I don't hate myself anymore. I don't get angry when I can't run. I make jokes about it, but I don't get angry about it. The Lord gave me real spiritual healing. And He offers that for us. But it only comes through faith. So that's the first thing we see is that the prayer works through faith. The second thing we see is that prayer works through confession. We see that in 15 and 16. James says, And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Let me say this on the front end. Um, what James is not saying and what the Bible is not saying is that there's a one-to-one correlation between suffering and sin. In the Old Testament, there was a, a strong connection between suffering and sin. They understood that because sin entered the world, then we were going to suffer. And they also understood that part of the curses of the covenant was that as a nation, Israel was going to suffer real physical punishment because of their sins. So that connection is there. But we see in one Old Testament story in particular that that is not always the case. And that's the story of Job. Job was a sinless sufferer. The book of Job goes to great lengths to show that Job never cursed God and that Job's suffering was not part was not caused by his sin. Then we come to the New Testament and we see an emphasis more on the spiritual side, the spiritual effects of sin and how that breaks us. There's, there's, still, the connect, there's still the connection between sin and suffering, but we also see another sinless sufferer, and that's Jesus. Jesus was sinless. He was the perfect, righteous man, and He suffered. He suffered in ways that we suffered. And so you can't make the one-to-one connection between sin and suffering that a lot of people do. And what James is saying here is conditional. If your sin has caused the suffering, then you can receive healing. He's also saying that if you're struggling with sin, then confess it and you'll receive healing, whether that's physical or spiritual. Okay. Now, some sicknesses are brought about because of sin. All right. Think of an alcoholic. Alcoholics destroy their liver. Alcoholism is a sin. If you continue drinking, you are going to destroy your liver. That is a natural consequence of your sin. That's something you need to confess and receive both spiritual and physical healing. All right. Sometimes uh, the two work together, our body and our minds work together, and it's not clear whether or not it comes from sin or it's just, uh, just part of life. Uh, like I'm thinking like stress, right? Stress creates ulcer, ulcers. Thinking of like psychosomatic diseases, right? We're under stress, and so we begin to stress, and that stress begins to create ulcers. So there's both a spiritual dimension, right? Worry, anxiety, and there's a physical effect. These ulcers, all right? We need to go to the Lord and confess that. Confess that we're struggling with sin. We're struggling with anxiety. We're struggling with worry. We're struggling with doubt. And let Him heal us. But it's not always a one-to-one correlation. Um, 
Confession is really important because what confession does, whether it's a physical sickness or a spiritual sickness, is confession shows humility. And God will only work through humility. That's how He heals people. I had a friend who was sick, and she was in Tulsa, and she was at one of these healing services that we did at our church. She was sitting next to a friend, and the friend asked her, are you going to go down and pray for healing? And she said, no. And the friend said, why? She said, because I don't want to be humiliated like that. So she didn't go down. Then after the service, she went up to our pastor and she said, yeah, I thought about going down and, uh, and having you pray for me, but I didn't want the humiliation. And the pastor looked at her and said, the Lord only heals through humility. The Lord only heals through humility. When you go and you confess your sins to your brothers and sisters or to the Lord, that shows humility. And that's how God works. And that's how He brings healing. So if you're struggling with this morning, with a physical sickness or a spiritual sickness, I would encourage you, go to the Lord in humility. Confess your sins, confess your need, your reliance, your dependence on Him, and let Him heal you. He loves you. He wants to work through this with you. And prayer is powerful. It will work. So we see that prayer works through faith. We see that prayer works through confession. And lastly, we see that prayer works through righteousness. We see that uh, in verse 16, it says, Therefore, uh, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. This term righteousness literally means to be, to be right. Okay? It means to be right. It means to be in a right relationship with God. When we come to the New Testament, we see that we are brought into a right relationship with God by faith in Jesus Christ. And it's in that right relationship with God that we pray and it's in that right relationship with God that we see powerful prayers answered. And he uses Elijah as an example. He says Elijah was a man like us. Yeah, he prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed again, and the drought ended, and the Lord brought fruit. It's important that he says he was a man like us. He was righteous, but he was like us. What does that mean? Elijah was weak. He doubted he was broken. He was sinful. But he still prayed. And God still answered his prayer. And God still used his prayer powerfully. The Lord is gracious to you. I want you to know, there's a lot of you out there who think that you can't pray because you sin too much. God won't answer my prayers because I've done too much. He'll never forgive me for what I've done. And that is not true. That is not true. If you have the righteousness of Christ, then God will and can Answer your prayers. He's gracious. And Elijah is a great example of that. We have to go to Him through confession. We have to go to Him in faith and let God do that. But yet, so there's this kind of disconnect, right? There's this sense in which we're righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. And then there's a sense in which we know we're imperfect and we know we're broken. And it's just kind of a struggle to understand, like, how does God answer these prayers? Uh, David even says in Psalm 66, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So how can David say, if I cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord wouldn't have listened? And how can James say, on the other hand, that if you're righteous, but broken, like Elijah, then your prayers can be answered. The reason is this. The righteous person is in heaven praying for us and with us. The reason why our prayers work 
The reason why they have any power at all is because we have a righteous mediator in Jesus Christ that is up there right now praying with us and for us. And it is His righteousness with which we come into the throne room of God and we offer our prayers. And He takes our prayers in His righteousness and He brings them to the Father and the Father answers them lovingly and graciously. He gives us what we need based not on ourselves, but on Jesus. And I heard a campus minister tell a great story that illustrated uh, this principle. I'm going to close with this. He said that one day, his little girl went out to pick flowers. And she went out to pick flowers for her daddy. She goes out to the flower, the flower garden. She starts grabbing flowers, and what she thinks are flowers are really thorns and poison ivy and weeds and kind of like all this nasty stuff. And she puts them in a cup, and she brings them back into the house. And when she walks to the kitchen, the mom sees the cup, and she's like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm taking flowers to daddy. And the mom's like, mm, okay, let me see those flowers real quick. She takes the cup from her. She takes out all the, the weeds and stuff. Takes it all out. She goes out to the garden. She clips some roses. She puts roses in the cup. She brings it back to the door and she says, here, take these to your father. The little girl runs into daddy and takes him this bouquet of roses. And the Lord graciously welcomes those roses. That's what Jesus does for our prayers. We come to Him with a little cup. We, come to the, we want to come to the Father with little cups full of poison ivy and thorn bushes and weeds because we're imperfect and that's just all we know. And Jesus takes those things out and in His perfect righteousness, He puts those roses in there in our prayers. And He brings them to the Father. And the Father loves us. He is gracious. He is wonderful. And He answers our prayers. And He loves it when we pray, especially if you're broken. If you're out there and you're broken and you're sinful and you're going, I can't believe that God would heal me, you're the very person that Jesus wants to heal. You're the very person that God wants to receive flowers from. But you've got to have humility. And you've got to have faith. Those are the things that prayer works through. That's how prayer works. That's how you take the pill. You take the pill through humility and faith. Through confessing and believing the Gospel.